Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, folks, welcome back to the Mountain Swire basketball podcast. Yeah, we're here. Not, maybe not super happy about what happened, but we're here. MWR.com, that's our website, where Eli Betker, who's with me right now, and others are doing a ton of basketball work this past week because offseason never ends. That's right. It's like March comes, you have the tournament, and then everything else explodes for teams that aren't in the tournament. So it's been a busy few weeks, but we're getting through it, and it's, it's an interesting time for everyone. There are a million transfers, which we're trying to keep track of. So if we miss a couple, hit us up at, on Twitter, MWCWire. Let us know because we up, I think you and I updated it the other day, but there might be more. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's almost daily now that we have a handful of guys coming out. I have to update it again because we have Pat Dembley from Boise State who's just transferring out. He spent this past year at the Broncos, and there was at least one more. I think Torian Knight from Utah State, another guard. So the Aggies have already mm-hmm. lost two point guards this offseason yeah, with the uh, Crew Ainge as well. So it's getting pretty hectic, and I think we have seven double digit scores now from the Mountain West that have already transferred. So we'll get to the big news with UNLV, possibly getting their coach, but like there are, geez, I have to scroll down quite a bit. So what are these players like UNLV? Somebody messaged us that there's nine. Are they? I wonder if they're counting graduate guys too, like guys graduating and leaving. Did you see that tweet um, sent to us? I I didn't see that. I didn't see. That. I'm I, not sure where that came that came from. They have. We'll look at it later. They had a spreadsheet, and so I was looking around. I'm like, okay, but it looks like at least five from our count. There might be more. Again, we might. Always might might not be correct overall because they change all the time and we can't mm-hmm. see every tweet, but it's a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have a day of next year. People don't like your predictions for next year, so we we could we could do this later. But let's do a quick on that in case people missed it to go see your super stupid early picks. And okay, we can make this another podcast on the road. But who's your like top three really quick? Like just a quick note. Okay, so I have Utah State as the returning favorites, so long as they bring back Nemeas Keda, I think they'll be just fine and probably pegged by just about everyone to win the conference again. And second, I have Nevada, which is a bit of a surprise, I think, to some because they lose so many guys. They lose the Martin Twins, Caroline, Porter, Thurman, Henson. So that's a lot that they have to um, account for. But they, they do bring back Lindsey Drew. Um, he's off his Achilles injury. He should be good to go. Um, also, Jordan Brown, who's a McDonald's All-American, who didn't play much this past year. Jazz Johnson, who's that sharpshooter who I thought had an excellent year and probably wasn't used as much as he could have been used. And then they do bring in a few transfers, and I also expect Nevada to be very active in the grad transfer market. I've already seen their name pop up a handful of times. So I do have Nevada second and then San Diego State in third. And with the Aztecs, this one gets really interesting as well because Jalen McDaniels is a big draft decision. Mm-hmm. I had uh, San Jose State pegged in third, assuming he returns, though I'm not entirely sure if that's the case. I think it's probably it's either 50-50 or a higher chance that he leaves for the NBA draft. So we'll see what happens with that. But if McDaniels does return, I think there's a really good shot that the Aztecs will also welcome his brother, Jaden McDaniels, who's the top five, five-star uh, McDonald's All-American for the class of 2019, and he's still undecided. So 
if they have both McDaniels next year, it, and as well as bringing in Malachi Flynn, who's the Washington State transfer, KJ Fagan, who's the Santa Clara transfer, and then they also bring back uh, Jordan Shackle and Matt Mitchell. I mean, this is a this is a really good team, I think. So it's busy at the top, and then it it gets uh, a little bit more shuffling back towards. Um, the middle as we go on, but those are pretty three solid teams so long as um, all the players that are currently on the roster still return for next year. I would say this. I see a lot of Aztec fans saying, oh, Jaden will come even without Jalen. I'm like, no. I think that's much, the odds are way worse he comes if his brother's not in town. Yeah, I, I think you either have both of them or you have none of them. Yeah, it's like his chances of coming are greatly diminished and people are oh, it's fine. He'll do them. No, it's I know it's not the end-all be-all, but it's a uh, – you're right. It's going to be one or none. It's, I, I, w- I would say that it's not as um, – it's not as uh, black and white as it was with the Martin twins <laughs> because with them, they were, they were sticking together no matter what. They wanted to play together as long as possible, and I think that's why yeah. their draft decision was almost a j- – Point decision mm-hmm. with the McDaniel's brothers. I think it's a bit more. Uh, they're going their own ways, and that's not to say they don't have the same type of relationship. But they just they have their own career aspirations, and they're at different stages of their career. Obviously, being different ages and such. And I just read an article this morning. And I think it was from Rivals, or maybe it was from Twenty Four Seven that that uh, had a bit of an update on Jade McDaniel's and where he's at. And. and Jalen pretty much told him, you make the decision you want to make. So he, it, it's not that, at least that's what Jaden said, so we don't know what's going on behind the curtains. Maybe Jalen's convincing him to come, or, or he's giving him more information about what he wants to do in the draft. But, again, I don't think that if Jalen leaves for the NBA draft, I'm not convinced that Jaden would pick San Jose. I think he would, it would uh, probably end up at either Washington or at Kentucky. All right, we'll, we'll get into all this later. We'll have a few other things. We can make another whole show out of that, but I want to get people updated on that. We have your early NBA predictions, transfer list. Uh, I guess it's time to get the coaching news. Yeah. UNLV. Got a new head coach in Mount West. Well, not yet official. Should gonna, It's going to be official, though. Close. <laughs> Close. We're almost there. Okay. Oh, great tweet. So just real quick, um, there's a uh, blah, 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 blah tweet here. Somebody retweeted out, of course, the famous, infamous uh, hot tub photo of UNLV players just now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be like the good old days. <laughs> oh man, no, it's no, it's okay. Here's the deal: not official, but Ross, John Rostein, Goodman, who is a Jeff Brazello, mm-hmm. every all the main players in basketball, college troops circle are saying TJ. I'll give a chance here, Eli. Otzelberger, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Is that right? I think so. I think I'm not sure if it's Oz or if it's Oats, but I think some people go both ways. I'll go Otzelberger. Okay. Whatever. I Coach O, can I do it with that? Is that easy? Coach, yeah, there you go. Coach TJ. TJ. <laughs> <laughs> so his Wikipedia is already a, a change. His Wikipedia official, I guess. I don't know. It says um, number seven on March 27, 2019. Well, several media outlets report Otzelberger will be named head coach of UNLV. <laughs> So that, they, would, oh, they changed the. Uh, I was looking at this earlier. They changed the final sentence of this. Oh. It uh, it mentioned that Otzelberger was taking over for the once proud UNLV Ooh. men's basketball program. That's what it said. On I it. know. It said that's what it still says. <laughs> Only serious candidate appears to be. Because here's the deal. If it's him, great. Um, there's all the talk about Mike Miller. It's like, really? Do you want that? Not like. What is it? He's just an assistant with Penny Hardaway at Memphis, right? 
Yeah, this is his first year, and and I don't have anything against Miller, but I did not support him being the next UNLV basketball coach. It didn't make too much sense because Memphis will turn it around. It's like, well, he can recruit and get guys. I saw your tweet, though. They can recruit. That's not the problem. That's not yeah. the problem. It's like I did my – I want to pull up my tweet here because I think I, – I am so surprised that tweeted a DM to you a while ago. Like, I sent everybody, but I put on my DMs. Let me find it here. I am shocked that nobody came after me for UNLV fans because I guess I'm right if that's the case because usually <laughs> they get very defensive, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but anything um, – let's see here. Hold on. But, oh, dang it. Where would I go? It said, oh man, I, I wish I could find it. Um, never mind, I'm not going to get to it. It's just something about the, they can't rec- they can recruit. They just can't keep. Oh no, here's what it was. They, somebody replied something about national titles. Wasn't that it? Oh and, yeah. And I'm like, oh, they're all it's something with UNC, Kentucky. It's only chemistry. Like, yeah, chemistry is the only thing keeping them out from winning. <laughs> it's not mm. chemistry. It's Dave Rice late late second play calling, or even Menzies, or losing five star guys after one year. So it's not like it's going to be – oh, here we go. It's so easy. The only thing UNLV missing was chemistry and routes to titles. Why did it Marvin Menzies or Dave Rice think of that? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it was oh, a mass, mass roster, massive roster turnover and raffle in late-game situations. It's like that makes more sense than it's just chemistry. Yeah. And so you it, know oh, – It's weird. I, I don't it – doesn't, it doesn't boil down to talent, though. And that's, what, that's what I've been trying to – to preach the last few weeks since the position opened, UNLV will get talent, and I it, and what I mean by this is not necessarily five stars every year, but you don't need five stars every year to win the Mountain West, and that's what I said on the previous podcast, and, and it's what I'll continue to say. No matter what, UNLV is going to have probably a top three recruiting class in the Mountain West, no matter what, and that in itself is good enough to win the conference. I still think that. Roster continuity and, and maintaining the same bulk or the same rotation on your roster for, for year to year is what's so important. I was actually taking a look at the numbers last night when I heard um, that Oselberger was in the running for this position. If you can believe it, UNLV is the only team in the entire country that hasn't ranked in the top 275 in minute continuity percentage on Ken Palm. So what that is, it's just a metric that shows how many percent, like what percent of minutes you retain on a year-to-year basis. UNLV is the only program out of 353 that hasn't done that once over the past um, six seasons since their most recent tournament appearance. And I think that tells the whole story because they've had really good classes. They've had um, the fourth best class, 14th best class, 22nd, uh, 16th. So like they've had really good recruits come through there and they just haven't been able to retain them. And I think all that roster turnover is the reason why the running Rebels haven't been successful of late. Yeah, it makes more sense. Like, yes, they may get Brandon McCoy, all those guys you mentioned, like five-star guys, maybe one every couple of years, because that's really good. Like you said, top three recruiting class should be more likely than not. It should be, if you think about it, it really should be in some order, San Diego State, UNLV, and New Mexico is the best three teams of conference every year in recruiting. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's not, but it should be. That's Historically, that's probably more often than not that should be the case. Even because Nevada brings in just not just transfers, but we it's just that's the historic three great teams over the past twenty years plus, and then they it, it's it's just a mess. Also, let me see this. We talked have we talked about Menzies officially being out on the show since last time? Um, I think a little bit. Was it deserved? He was let go after so soon after a couple of years. I I didn't think so, and I've been pretty darn critical of this program under Marvin Menzies. I don't mm-hmm. think that 
he and his staff have done that great of a job. And they did show some signs this year. Again, they didn't win any big games or anything like that. But to give him essentially two years because that first year he inherited just an awful roster um, after Dave Rice was fired and they weren't able to retain anyone. And, I, I, I mean, he still finished with a 500 record over three years, but I thought he still deserved at least another year because you could kind of get the sense that things were – moving a bit more in the positive direction. I know that they didn't have the great year that they thought they would, but again, they had injuries. Shakur Justin losing him um, early on in the year was huge as he's one of the best players in this conference. And I think that impacted this team quite a bit. And even without him, they turned things around. Again, won 11 games in conference play and um, didn't have a terrible season. So I don't know. I, I was not... I was pretty I was pretty surprised that they made that move and I think it's just a lack of patience within this program to give a coach time and I think that's what they need to do. They need to have some consistency and give a coach time to do what he needs to do, bring in his players and see what happens. Well, that and also new AD wants to make their new hire. And for you know, it's obviously the basketball coach. If you want to make a big hire, why like okay, Garrett of Menzi, cool, fine. We know there's there's not the abundant of fountains of money in any of these mountainous programs. So you bring in new AD a couple years ago, or you're going to have to go, whatever it may be. We'll see how the programs go. The big hire at Vegas is the Rebels head coach for basketball. This is the best you could do if you're going to get rid of Menzies. Now, I'm not – just no disrespect to the coach, obviously, but there's UNLV fans. Oh, Rick Pitino. He's just hanging out in Greece. You know what I mean? It's like, we'll get Mick Cronin. We'll get, like, even Steve Alford's a bigger name than this guy. Thad Mata came up, too. Yeah, it's like, because he's, yeah, it's, so it's serving, uh, who is it, Mark Fox, right, who used to be at Georgia? Was, uh, is that who that is? Mm-hmm. Or NC mm-hmm. State or whatever, maybe, out there. It's like, this is the best you can do to for a program you think is should be winning national titles by fans? Like, this may be the best hire, maybe great, I don't know. But they say they're this great program. Their last three coaches were from much smaller... I include like I'll slide in the Chris Beard there for a minute from Stephen what Stephen Van Foston, right? SFA. Mm-hmm. Look where those last three coaches came from. You're not a big time program if you have to pull coaches from low major conferences. And so and you want to be, be, make a big move, this is what you got? I'm just saying you're not a national program. Like I'll get heated like last time. Tell them like it is. Look at your last three coaching hires. Look where they came from. New Mexico State, South Dakota State, Stephen F. Austin. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, there's nothing wrong with saying that, and it's true. So, but as for who they're bringing, let's get to the, the positive side because we don't need to be super negative the whole time because people may stop listening if we are. But <laughs> Ulsterberger, like, he's done, like, a couple good things you can take in the league itself. Coaching hires within the conference have been good the past couple years. Houston going up from San Diego State to Fresno. You have Craig Smith. A couple of good coaches coming in doing quite decent things early on. So he's made... What did you say, two NCAA tournament appearances in three years? Yeah, he made it to his first year as a 16 seed. They lost to Gonzaga. And then the following season, um, they made it as a number 12 seed and lost to Ohio State in that in a really close and highly con- contested 5-12 game. Yeah, and then he went from 18 to 26 to 24 wins in three years. First placed in the league. Would have made the NCAA tournament this year, but didn't win the conference tournament. Mm-hmm. And so, like, he's winning, doing well, and he went out freaking South Dakota. He has a bit West Coast. He's like said, Washington, even Iowa State's helpful. So I don't know what he'll really bring, but the team's a bit competitive that he's winning. And But here's the this could be easily, well not easily, but sort of comparable to Marvin Menzies. 
He won quite well in Mexico State. Could it pull it off, even being in the region at UNLV? Yeah, I think the the concern here, he should be able to get guys and, and get solid recruits, and I think that just comes with being the UNLV head coach. You're going to be capable of doing that, but that is a, a bit of a concern. And then the other thing, which a lot of people will point to, is that Oselberger, when he took over in 2017, I, th- I thought that he inherited a pretty solid roster um, that included Mike Dom, of course, who's one of the greatest college basketball players of all time. And what a lot of people are pointing at is how much can we credit Oselberger for the last three years and his success to him or whether that's to Mike Dom because Dom carried this team and, I mean, he's likely one of the best Summit League players ever, at least, or even mid-major players ever. And so he was able to just completely run through this conference and um, at times lead them to victories on his own. So I would have liked to have seen what Oltzelberger could do in a season without Dom because I think he's just that effective and that much of a proponent to this team in a conference like the Summit League. But uh, UNLV felt ready with this, and I, they're confident enough in his ability. But I think going back to what you were saying earlier, if UNLV had Oselberger in mind as the guy that they wanted, I think, in my opinion, would have kept that on the back burn a little bit, had Menzies do another year to see what he could have done, and then also gauge what Oselberger could do in his first year without Mike Don, because he's he's a senior this season, and next year they'll be without him. So it's a good time for him to make the jump, uh, personally, but mm-hmm. it's, it's still a bit of a risk, because you had a guy that, again, of his caliber, is able to... Um, completely dominate this conference and lead them to victories night after night. Yeah, so that's the thing too. It might move for him, but I just, I do think too. It's like give Menzi another year because what else is there to say? This is up to the AD. They lost every team above them in the standings. They beat all the teams they probably should have. I believe through I think ninety percent of the year, specifically specifically in conference. I it, it, but here's the thing too. They're starting over again. They're going to pay his buyout, whatever it may be. South Dakota's not paying for it. You know what I mean? Oldsburger's not paying for it. They'll probably pay him a tad less than what um, Mendes is getting, but much more than what he's getting at South Dakota State. But the big thing, we mentioned roster turnover. At least five guys are gone from our account, plus guys graduating. Remember in 2016, we did mention it last show. That's where I do, because I got heated a couple shows ago, where they returned only two players in 2016. This is going to be like two steps back. Again, like, maybe one guy transferred when Menzies stays, maybe two. But say you keep 85% of the roster, you're probably going to be better. You know what I mean? But now you're going to have a whole new roster to have scrambled to get Juco guys who didn't sign in November or, or February, whenever the, the signing period back then a few months ago. Who are you going to get to fill out the roster now? Guys who are not recruited, under-recruited. There's probably, I don't I obviously don't have a number, but very few high school guys who have a signed date who are or at least capable of, of playing at the level at UNLV or the Mountain West. It's like, what talent are you getting? It's like these guys, well, they have scholarships. I was complete Menzies. They're too nice to give guys scholarship. I'm like, well, who's you gonna, who else are you going to bring in to play? Guys are going yeah, to come yeah. for free to play to walk on when you have open scholarships. you got to give them somebody. And so it's you're right. It's like they're starting over. And like I said, the other guy, the Don guy from South Dakota State, very good, going to be probably be NBA guy scorer, but – what do they have at UNLV? Like, who's coming back to say this team will be better than last year? It won't be. Well, at, yeah, at, at full strength, South Dakota State was a better team last year than UNLV with their rosters. And 
and that's been the case the last three years as well. So now both of these programs are kind of depleted with graduation and with transfers and such. So it's back to the drawing board, and Oselberg has to get the job done. But like you said, he really has to scramble because assuming all of the other players that have um, entered the transfer portal for UNLV are, are gone, they just have two players right now that averaged more than a point and a half per game last year. So that's even a weaker returning class than it was in the first year of Marvin Menzies, and we know how that went. So uh, we'll see what he can do, but this makes it so, it, it's so challenging because you have to scramble for these guys in the first few months of, of uh, your head coaching tenure. And so you're not really gathering guys that are yours or the guys that you want to build your program around necessarily. You're, you're basically just trying to fill out a roster for the sake of filling it out and fielding the team. And that's where you get sent back a year, like what Marvin Menzies did, because he had to just field the team any way that he could because you have to be competitive and show what you can do. So we'll see what he does, but uh, it, it won't be easy, that's for sure. So what do you think should be realistic expectations? Like they lose, like you mentioned, plenty of guys. Um, um, look at Las Vegas Review Journal. Good job. They're the front runner, front runner still for this guy. Jeez. Get together. <laughs> Um, but seriously, like what, is, what would be like, like I use realistic because I want to be realistic. Like what is the realistic expectations for what? 75% roster turnover. If you look at the conference, um, Boise is going to be better. Like you mentioned, Air Force brings everybody back. They're going to be better. They may not compete for the league, but there'll be a tougher out. Like they may finish fourth in the league, but still be, yeah, you know, it's still pretty competitive and still be, be very difficult to play against. I think you think CSU could be better next year. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Uh, as of right now, definitively, I would probably only peg UNLV ahead of San Jose State, be- just with what the roster has. Oh, because I mean, assuming assuming all the guys that are in the transfer portal leave, that doesn't leave you with much. You have Bryce Hamilton, who averaged four point three points per game this past season, oh, had struggled Star. with his shooting consistency. Tervel Beck averaged just over four points a game. And then three lightly used um, players in Marvin Coleman, Ben Coupet, and Trey Woodbury. So that's not a lot. And I'm not doubting that Otzelberger can get some guys because I, I think he can. But there's a lot of returning talent in the conference this year. Teams that were weaker this season I think will be much improved. Like you said, with Boise State, Air Force, Colorado State um, brings back Nico Carvacho again. So I think it's... Uh, if UNLV can scrape for maybe a top six, top seven finish in the conference, I think that would be pretty miraculous. I just don't see it happening unless you get some of these guys back and some pieces fall into place for next season. Yeah, unless or there's like some JUCO transfers they get, stuff like that. Or not JUCO, sorry, my mistake. Just D1 transfers. I it's oh my my is getting that. Sorry, my train of thought went away for a second. Wyoming without Justin James, they'll be worse than Wyoming. You think? Um, I mean, I think so because Wyoming does bring back a handful of role players as well. They have Jake Hendricks, who's a sharpshooter. He was pretty good. Hunter Thompson was solid as well in his redshirt freshman season. So even without them, I think they have some nice pieces that come back next year. I guess the one thing I do want to mention, again, because we've been tough on, on this team and what they've had, South Dakota State does have a sophomore guard, David Jenkins Jr., who has just been phenomenal, and, and his um, presence has been a little uh, 
in seen in the shadows because of what Mike Dom has done. But mm-hmm. this past season, he averaged nearly 20 points per game, uh, three rebounds per game, uh, assist and a half a night, and shot 45% from deep. And um, there's a very good chance, at least from what I've heard, that he could probably go along with Otzelberger to UNLV and immediately become the best player on this team. And so we'll see how that sorts out. But if they can count on having two more years of eligibility from a guy who was already a 20-point scorer as a sophomore and efficient at, at that as well, um, that'll be a really nice piece that UNLV can use to build up this program in the um, new tenure. We'll see. if he, uh, I just don't know what the fans expect from this because – I don't think anybody really likes to hire at the moment, as far as I can tell. It's a guy, nobody, because at least people heard of Marvin Menzies. Like, he went to the NCAA tournament, won great games in New Mexico State, won, or a number of games, I should say, even though they still have that NCAA tournament drought. I don't know. Is it still, uh, what, what if a Chris Beard, if he had stuck around? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, man. That, it, that's that's got to be something in the back of people's minds because what Beard has done with Texas Tech is just phenomenal and it's it's too bad that you only missed out on that it's an unfortunate circumstance but they have to make do with what they have and again they just have to be patient because i think this program can be really good under otzelberg i i will say that and will continue to say that but they have to be more patient than what they were with marvin menzies or it won't pan out yeah like i said a million times here with our football stuff don't like we were talking about with uh tony sanchez their football coach let him give him like I know it's different because UNLV basketball is clearly much better, more tra- track record, all the wins and everything, tournament titles. But if you're struggling like this, give the guy like six to seven years maybe and get it turned around. Basketball is easier to turn around than football. But if you do a standard three and done or four and done, it's maybe there's other things. Like, do we even know the actual underlying re- reason Menzi was gone? Is just not performing well enough? Is that all it is? I mean, probably, yeah. <laughs> I I still think the AD just wanted to make their home home move. So, what did you what would you grade this hire? I'm gonna pull up our Twitter account because you put a poll up there. What would you grade as this hire? Um, I would give it a, a B if I had to go with solid grades, or either a B or B plus. I think it's a good hire. I think it's a much better hire than what it could have been. I was really skeptical of Mike Miller becoming this head coach with just one year of D1 coaching as the assistant under Penny Hardaway. He's also a first-year coach. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, that would have been dicey. I, I would not have been as big of a fan, and I'm just not a huge fan of hiring coaches that don't, don't have prior experience. Otzelberg has prior experience. He was able to recruit under Lorenzo Romar with UW, so they got some lottery picks out of him, even though that was those teams weren't too successful. So he knows how to recruit, which is good. And that's something that is a bit of a skepticism for a guy coming from the Summit League and going straight to a program like UNLV. So he knows how to recruit. He's won a lot of games. Again, the Mike Dom thing is a, is a bit of a question mark, but I do like this yeah. hire quite a bit. And if they're patient, I think this could really work out. I found the best tweet about this at our react in our, in our thread if you put up the poll, which right now it's between a B and a C, 31% B, 34% C. So Okay. With about a couple hundred votes, so it'll be open for a while. But Raj, everybody, Raj does Boise State stuff. He's not a he's not a huge basketball guy, so he's he's like I never heard Altsburger. Most people haven't. But if he's going to UNLV, one of the best programs in the country, according to quote UNLV Nation, he must be hot commodity. I'm just surprised that the Runner Rebels couldn't get Jay Wright or Bill Self. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> and there are okay. fans who think they could get Jay Wright to come to UNLV. <laughs> 
Well, ah, uh, man. Yeah, yeah it's uh, look. It's not the program that it was twenty, thirty years ago. We know that you. Dude, it's you not the program the ten years program. ago with Kruger. I'm just saying, it's not ten years you, ago. Yeah, I mean, you established that on the last podcast for sure. But they just need to make do with what <laughs> they have. And I, again, I think this program could be really good under Otzelberger so long as they give them enough time. That's the big question mark. Also, I like this tweet too. People who voted DNF are either Nevada fans or you UNLV fans under realistic expectations. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I would say I mean, it's, probably. It's, honestly, I'd probably say like C, like C plus, maybe I don't know. Because again, without Mike Dom, it's like who's that score to do his system when he does in Vegas? We don't know. If if he won twenty five games next year uh, without Mike Dom, and then UNLV chose to make the move and hire him, I'd probably give the hire an A. But you just don't really know how good of a coach he is when Mike Dom has been able to lead that team. One good thing too about this is that the hire was made in March and not in May, like last time. Yeah, true. <laughs> so true. you have two months and maybe something can happen. You know who I secret secretly rooting for? Mark Pope. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I, I know. The Mark Pope fan club there. He's um probably gonna be the BYU next head coach. Just saying. That's right. And let's just say it's Dave Rose probably not done coaching. Just saying. Hmm. hmm. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. He stepped down. So there were, as of now, there are now four coaches open out west. You have which still can impact because Nevada and Muslim exuded a piece about what's his future. Cal, Washington State, BYU, and UCLA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't see Musselman going for any of those jobs. Me, like clearly, why not UCLA? Well, a little bit tougher academics. Transfer guys and doesn't really work. And it seems interest isn't typically back unless something to be Bruins coach. So there could be some domino effect, but I don't really see a big do- Also, oh, I saw a few other things. Um, Texas and Arkansas could be open soon. Just saying. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so there could be a lot of jobs dom- domino effect, or even LSU with the Will Wade situation. That may be something of interest to Musselman because he was assistant there before. But uh, I'm fairly confident saying he's going to stay in town. Would you? Yeah, I'm confident as well. I think if Arizona opens up, if uh, Sean Miller is fired, that could get pretty interesting. Oh, yeah, that's Texas, too. Texas, if Shaka Smart is gone, I think that one is a, another big program that could be pretty interesting as well. And then, again, LSU, you don't quite know what's going on with Will Wade. So those are three really solid jobs that could open up, but they do have, technically, they have their head coaches at this point. So it's... If if none of those three open up, I'm I'm almost positive that Musselman will return. I mean, he interviewed for the Cal job a couple of years ago, before it had the train wreck under Viking Jones, mm-hmm. and so I don't see if there's any incentive. If he turned it down a few years ago, why he would go for it now? I just don't see the incentive of that. After, so unless yeah yeah, and hiring a guy after two years or five yeah it, guy, yeah me. just it, just very little patience. And I know Viking Jones did not get it done, and there were. There are a ton of reasons why uh, people didn't think he was suited for the job, but uh, it would it would have to be a really good job to open up for Musman to take it because his stock is so high right now, and to settle for a low level Pac-12 job like Washington State or Cal when he could pretty much do the same thing if not more with Nevada just would not make any sense. Yeah. All right. I guess let's get to the topic we were initially going to start with, but the coaching hire took over. March Madness is over for the conference. That was quick, wasn't it? 80 minutes now. Uh, 80 minutes. Um, let's start with Thursday. Way about a week ago. Um, we were hoping to podcast earlier with more games, but Nevada and Florida, 70-61. to 61, And 
What do you know? Nevada was down big. He couldn't come back. Shocker. That's the whole year this happened. <laughs> you seem frustrated, Jeremy. It's just annoying because Florida, they play a tough schedule. They play in the SEC. So they're playing Tennessee, Auburn, LSU, Kentucky, all those really good schools where Nevada's got um, Boise State, Air Force, San Jose. But here's the thing, too. Like, it, it's exactly what I thought would happen. They live and die by three point range, and they crapped the bed and went five and twenty four. And that's and their offense was just off all night. They had that little run in the second half, weren't they? Up one or down one, and then Florida won a big run and like, see, yeah, we're out of here. Uh, they never took the lead, but they got within two. I think. Oh, maybe that's what it was. Okay, maybe they yeah. get Utah State game, but let's see. Like they're down nine at the half. Their leading scorer has nineteen, but Martin d- d- plays terrible. Caroline only scores seven points. I don't know if the still injured and all, but. It's just frustrating for – I know they want a Final Four and want to get extremely high, but to lose to an OK Florida team, but just like bad doing it too. Like their defense wasn't all that great. They were OK defending the three, but they shoot too many threes. And we saw this like when they played Iowa State a couple years ago. They don't they just settle for three-point shots because, hey, they're open. We probably should make it. But we don't make it. We're still going to keep shooting it. <laughs> yeah, it, it again, it was – a lot more of what we had seen the previous month of the season as opposed to the first two or three months. And Nevada struggled down the stretch. As we know, they are hobbled with some injuries. They had some distractions. There's a lot of things go wrong when when this was supposed to be such a dream season. Um, going back to your first point about falling behind early, I actually pulled up a chart. I, I made a chart after the game to find Nevada's largest deficit in each game this season. Mm-hmm. The first 25 games of the year, they trailed by 13 or more just twice. It was in the Arizona State victory that they came back, and then, of course, the New Mexico blowout loss, in which they trailed by as much as 29. Uh, then over the final nine games, starting with the San Diego State loss at Viejas, they had five games where they trailed by 13 or more. It was in San Diego State game, um, the Utah State loss, Air Force, or excuse me, not, uh, not Air Force, uh, a Boise State win in the first round of the Mountain West tournament, the San Diego State loss, and then also the Florida loss. So yeah, they're down six. It seems eight, like they just ran 18. out of gas. Yeah, they're yeah. down eighteen at one point in this yeah, game. Yeah, so they just—it seems like they just ran out of gas. They weren't consistent, took bad shots. Just and and when they were put into a position where they could take the lead and make these big runs as they did in last year's tournament, they they just kind of fell flat. And the late game execution had been bad. They struggled against Utah State, San Jose State. They um, failed to uh, score a field goal until garbage time over the final seven and a half minutes in the tournament. So it was just a bizarre final month of the season. And for this team with as much talent and experience to go out the way they did is just pretty surprising. It is because, yeah, they dropped the end, and we knew the seed wasn't going to be great once they started losing a couple, even two or three games. Again, they were 29 and 5. So, this is a massive, like, even despite this being one of their best seasons ever for win totals, it's got to be one of the most um, disappointing seasons almost ever because it was all Final Four busts. They can do it. But then, a couple things. The bench play, I think, still came to play. Yeah, you had Jazz Johnson play, what, 31 minutes off the bench? Jordan Brown and um, who's the other guy? Henson played six total minutes, five total minutes, four. Excuse me, four minutes. That's part of it too. And you have two, these guys playing so many minutes. It's like I know Florida didn't do much better at a playing time. They had two guys off the bench who played more than ten minutes. 
but it's been a thing all year. And so is it really just him getting tired or is it a coaching thing? Is it adjustment type thing? Because we see, I've seen it far too long with Musselman where, they, like I said, they just shoot it if they're open. And if they don't make it, they don't adjust to say, let's go drive the basket. Because, well, they did get 25 free throws. That's pretty good. It just seems to be they always settle for the three-point, especially like with the, was it Martin went 2 of 11. Yeah, it, at times, I mean, we even saw it in games that they won or games that they blew out teams. Yeah, Nevada can be so up and down, and they can play fantastic one night, look like a Final Four contender, and, and just put together these complete performances, and then the following night just look miserable and, and out of sorts and frustrated. And that was the theme, I thought, throughout the season because we saw the good and the bad. They ran through their first 14 games of the season, winning most of the games by double digits, blew out Utah State in the opener by 23, and then was they were just completely demolished by New Mexico the following game, which, again, made no sense at all. And then they started to pick it up again, and then the last month of the season was just so up and down, and I just feel like maybe this this group didn't quite have the it factor that last year's group did, and you could rely on Kendall Stevens to knock down some baskets that you needed. Lindsey Drew played a, a pivotal role until he was out with his injury. Josh Hall came up with some big baskets, especially the one against Cincinnati to complete the comeback. There are just some intangibles I think they were missing from this year's team, and when you have so much talent sitting on the bench. You also have to wonder about that because we can think about what we were talking about in October and September about whether or just how Musselman was going to handle having a roster as stacked as this one. How is he going to distribute the minutes? How is he going to figure out his rotation? And it was essentially the same thing as he did the year before. And that could be seen as a good thing at times but it could also see as a bad thing when you have a mcdonald's all-american sitting on the bench for 35 minutes a night uh, when you have some good shooters like Corey henson and, and this ray zuzwa who who had a bad season of course but there's just a lot of talent that i don't know if, if it was completely utilized the way it could have been and maybe there's something we don't quite know um about maybe why the rotation was set up the way it was but just, I think it's a lot of factors that contributed to, to why the season ended the way it did. Right, well, that's what we thought preseason, that he would have more depth and play it, and he didn't do it. Yeah, so and, that's, and that's what we were wondering so, last year because the, the team was just an injury away from having to play a walk-on or a football player. Yeah, all right, let's get to Utah State. Then that's all I want to muster with the Rebels. Or not, okay. Oh, sorry, Wolfpack, apologies. But good season. Like, we shouldn't be too down, but I think it was – expectations were sky high top 10 preseason mm -hmm. end of last year so like a point a shot away from going into making headed out to the potential final four last year when they made that sweet 60 or at least elite eight run i should say before against uic so good season don't it's just in part it's just tough to say like let me ask you this all year like watch them all year like i never really said it but i never thought they were like a final four team ever this year at all like the way they played like, all the comebacks they had to come against. Yeah, they blew out Utah State week one of conference, or game one, I believe it was. But they had that good stretch before they started, like, the stretch in between where before, like, we even talked about, we want blowouts. We want them to win convincingly. Before that, mm. like, San Diego State loss, or even the last little, what, eight games, they had a good stretch just blowing out the bad teams. But yeah. all year, I never really felt like, I figured they had the talent, but on the court, to me, they never seemed like they were going to be a team that could make a deep tournament run. It just kind of felt like something was missing, right? 
Yeah, it's like you know, a couple of things. Like they're trailing behind. Yeah, they're beating up on CSU and Air Force, which we loved. But just to me, like watching and reading up, it's like, well, maybe, maybe people like, well, maybe they're bored because they're going to run through the conference, which they mostly did. But like I know, guys said they'll get Final Four talent, but like their games itself, if you're that good, you should be crushing, like beating everybody, like top fifteen team. You'll stumble mm-hmm. here or there, which is acceptable, which they did. But it's even in those wins, they were never like I guess the wins like early in the year where they had to, every game like bad teams are challenged like. I never felt they were this amazing team all year. Like I figured they they had it in them maybe, but you got to show me a couple of times. Like when it came crunch time, like tournament time, Mountain West, like two years in a row they don't get it done. Yeah, that's that's surprising. So let's go to uh, Utah State here. They oh oh boy, beyond disappointing. I'll say it beyond disappointing. <laughs> oh. oh man. Well, Sam Merrill scoreless for what the first twenty five minutes I believe it was. Yeah, he didn't score in the first half. Washington, who's not a great team, ended up winning by 17 points. Merrill had 10 points, 2 of 9, 2 of 7 from 3, 6 turnovers. Nobody played great. Bridola only had 4 points off the bench. Kata did all right, 11 points, 3 blocks, 9 boards, but they were down 40 to 20 to half. The offense was anemic and terrible and couldn't make anything. I, you know, I, I think it's a mix of Utah State having a bad night and Washington just playing excellent defense. I, I think not only with Sam Merrill having the poor shooting night, he was just 2 of 7 from deep, 0 for 2 from 2-point range. He had, what, nine, 9 shot attempts and 10 points. But I think the shot attempts is also something that needs to be noted because he was often denied the ball. He was guarded by Matisse Stiebel, who's one of the best defenders in the country, and he just completely locked him down. And Utah State, I'm not putting all the blame on Merrill, of course, because I think that Utah State could have done a lot more to try to get Merrill open looks. But that just wasn't the case. And so he ended up with, what, three times as many turnovers as, as made field goals. And it was, just a, it was just an off night for Utah State and probably their weakest offensive showing since the conference opening blowout to Nevada. And I thought that Namias Cato was going to really step up. There were a lot of people that I, I told heading into this game to watch out for this guy because he was, had been on a tear and he was just looking fantastic. And I don't know. At times he seemed kind of out of it. It wasn't as physical as he has been. And I know he's still finished with eleven and nine, but he took twelve shot attempts, um, had a lot of misses near the basket, some ones that rimmed out, some he probably could have jammed and he laid up and missed. It was just kind of an accumulation of a number of things that went wrong. Yeah, I don't know if it was a uh, first time being there or what, but Washington, like, they're a good defensive team, but offense, it's like, it's, you see Washington more than me. Like, was this one of their better games they played, you think? You know, I thought this was, this might have been the best game that they played all season long. And okay. which is, which is even surprising because the last month they had really been struggling. They had those two games against Oregon when they failed to score even 50 points. Their offense had really sputtered down the stretch, but. Um, Dickerson for uh, Washington probably played his best game all year, and I think overall as a team, it was probably their most complete performance in at least a, a month or so. I, I also remember that Cal loss as well. <laughs> yeah, of course. So you just see, here's the thing: future's bright. Like, not to say Nevada's wasn't talking about them, but I'm pretty sure Sam Rowe is going to be back. Right, that's pretty. He's a junior, should be back. Mm-hmm. Kate is going to be back, I assume. Have they announced any like freshman All-American National Awards? I assume he'd be up there, perhaps. 
Um, yeah, probably. I, I haven't seen anything quite yet, though. And so who you've been doing who's coming back. Are they losing anybody else's burrito coming back as well, I think? Yes, the only like major loss, I think, is for uh, Quinn Taylor, who's gone, and, and Dwayne Brown as well. I should know super quick. You put them number one, right? Yes, uh, I did. Okay, that's what I thought. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. I also like the New Mexico fans. Well, you're going to put them. Don't forget about us. You'll put them at the bottom. Like, well, yeah, come on. Put them in six. I thought that was pretty fair. I thought that was pretty fair because they, they have talent. A lot of talent, yeah. They have, a lot of talent. Like, isn't Carlton Bragg another year or is he done? Mm-hmm. And Jaquan Lyle should be back and ready to yeah. go. So it's a it's a good roster too. Yeah, it's some unknowns with them with the injury because that's a, that's a for, unfortunate late in the football season. We saw him on the sideline and it ends mm-hmm. out the boot, missed the whole season. So they might be higher, but we'll see. But Utah State, like they with what they're coming back, what Craig Smith's done, and also what's also helps they've gotten away from the um, Stu Morrill soft, papered soft scheduling on conference. <laughs> yeah, and so they it's. Utah State's gonna be pretty good. It's just this game was like tough to watch. Like this was the game where they got they got close in the second half and then Washington went on. I think I think a seven zero run and then like game over. It it was almost that Utah State only made runs when Matisse Seibel was on the bench and there you go. Um, when Seibel was on the court, he completely shut Utah State down. I remember because he had gotten in foul trouble. He finished with four fouls. When Fiebel hit the bench, Utah State immediately went on at least a 7-0 or 9-0 run to pull back within just a handful of possessions. I want to say they got it to one or maybe two. They were right there, and then Fiebel checked back in, and that was all she wrote for Utah State. All right. Anything else we need to add on today's show because we're about to wrap it up here? Uh, yeah, keep an eye on the transfer tracker because we'll probably we had another name since the, our podcast started. Yeah. Probably, I mean, I'm sure that happened. Um, so yeah, keep an eye on that. And again, Nevada, New Mexico, San Jose State. A lot of these teams are involved with players transferring in uh, as well. So a lot of stuff going on. It's a busy time for not only teams playing in the tournament, but also teams that aren't. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on that, and then maybe some coaching news of Musselman because. Dollars, I bring it up again real quick. Just wrap it up with that trickle down effect. These four or five jobs, or six or seven, that are open across the country, maybe something piques his interest. Just because. So, oh, yeah. and then real quick, we got Sweet Sixteen. Should we do some quick picks really quick? Yeah, that sounds good. I don't so, have a bracket in front of me, so you have to walk me through. I'll get it right here. It was mostly chalk. So, uh-huh. um, I will say this here. Okay, rule it really quick. Florida State Gonzaga. Actually, well, no, let's do this. Who's your? Who's your new? Do you have a new Final Four? Or is your final uh, four still intact? My final four is still intact. I'm, I'm still good. I got Duke, Texas Tech, Tennessee, and uh, North Carolina. I, so same word, Gonzaga, Duke, Tennessee, Houston. Mm, okay. Got the, got the Cougs in there. That's right. I would not be shocked if Texas Tech gets there. I would not be shocked if maybe Purdue does something because Tennessee didn't look all that great in the Iowa victory. Yeah, yeah, they didn't. And so there's that. And so I was concerned about Tennessee. Uh, UVA still kicking strong. <laughs> they get Oregon. Cool, that could be a good one. I, I think that'll be a fun matchup. Oh, okay. This is hilarious. We'll wrap up now because Oregon likes to score some points, right? Is that what they typically do? If I recall, mm-hmm. over UVA does not. We know that for a fact. Over under is one nineteen. Oh man. Okay. Over under Florida State Gonzaga and Purdue Tennessee one forty six and a half. That that sounds that sounds about right. Yeah. I know, but that's a thirty point difference, just about. Mm-hmm. So. um do you think any anything's gonna like I have a big win, Houston, maybe Kentucky. Any other interesting games we should pay attention to, you think? Besides all I of like them? oh North Carolina Auburn I think should be awesome. I don't know if you have the over under for that one, but that is going to be a ton of perimeter shooting, a lot of up and down. They'll probably have I don't know, eighty possessions in that game. I I'm stoked for that one. One sixty five. 
165. Yeah, that's 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 pretty solid. Would next, it be like 84, 81 or something. Next close is LSU Michigan State at 148 and a half. So, mm, yeah. Okay. So watch I, these games. We'll see how our final four plays out. Our final four is in. Yeah. Um, I put a, a post on the top ten from our bracket. I'm in the top ten. You're in the top ten. So mm-hmm. most people have Duke, which is obvious. The UCF game. Oh man, so good. Oh, oh that was a classic. The tip in. Did you see the replay like a million times? Yeah. Like, I don't know how that didn't go in. No, not that. No, the no. Sorry, the shot clock one. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you could not tell if it hit the back of the rim or not. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah that was nuts. But that's all we got for today. So we'll be back. I'm guessing maybe we'll be back next week um, to see. We'll probably go in more depth of your of the preseason, early preseason mm-hmm. predictions. We'll have some other news going on. Maybe some random transfer coaching news could pop up just because um, like I said, all these jobs out west are open. Um, real quick note, um, Dave Rice, is uh, he's not coaching at the moment because his team's out of the tournament. He, could he go back to BYU instead, former Rebel coach? <laughs> is that what you want? Well, no, I, I don't care. I'm not a BYU fan. <laughs> I'm just saying – there's so, there are so few candidates that have the possibility to be a coach at BYU because you have to be a good, a standing, a good, wait, was it a member? LDS well, not a good standing. I was thinking about a good standing. You can't just be sitting on part of the religion. You have to be actually yeah. a good standing. You can't just be, yeah, I go to church sometimes. <laughs> True. <laughs> one of those type of things. It's uh, just one of the um, requirements to be a coach. And so I was mm-hmm. assuming it's still the case. I don't know, but... Okay. And just say it's name to watch if you want to keep it. Uh, Mountain West Connect. Uh, yeah, Mountain West Connect over there with uh, what Rebels are doing or former Mountain West coaches, I'm guessing. So, mm-hmm. all right. But that's our wrap up because I stumbled there because I apparently it's time to go. And mwr.com. Check out all the basketball stuff. We'll have some football stuff. Oh, Eli, guess what we get to work on soon? What's that? Our all time basketball team soon. All right. Yeah. Because football be sort of took a break, but just because it's busy, now it's not as busy. I'll have more time to go in and actually publish what our hardworking other writers have done for all time teams. So we'll look into that. So that'll be some fun stuff. And I, I have two I have two words for you, Jeremy. Are you ready? Are you ready? <laughs> I, I know what they are, just say it. Nick Duncan. Oh no, that's not what I think gonna say. Okay, never mind then. What were you thinking? Well, we're talking about best players ever. Nick Duncan, yeah. So you're just gonna say Jimmer. Okay, Jimmer, Jimmer. Yeah. Partly because that's on my mind and somebody um, – really quick, I will bring – do you have a second to indulge me for a moment here? Sure. So my other job, I wrote an article about um, Jimmer Fredette in town because he's back in the NBA. And to me, is it perplexing he always gets you standing ovations and massive web write-ups and news coverage toward him even outside of the state of Utah? It is kind of odd, so, yeah. I put a piece on here. So I put a piece on the website because one of the guys does TV – like, I get it. He comes to Utah. Oh, yeah, they'll be a cheer because, dude, his career is amazing at BYU. Naismith Player of the Year, if not for Brandon Davies' honor code violation, maybe even a Final Four team that year when they almost beat Florida without him. And so, and he's been NBA, not good. He's lottery pick, bounced around. He's doing great things in China. So I wrote a piece on, like, what's the deal? Why is he so popular? Because even in our radio show, work on the TV, I was like, I, I, there's like two thoughts. He's, he's never found the right team because coaches won't just give him the ball and say, score 40 a game. <laughs> or others go back and say, well, he was just a fiction of the people making up what he did in college. I'm like, you don't win to Naismith on accident. Yeah, no, he was that okay. <laughs> yeah. And he was that good. And so I'm like, and there's like, it's got to be a middle ground. Like, and I, like, even the Utah Jazz players were like, why are you asking these questions post game? Like, one guy got up and left. He's like, you don't want to hear my real answer on this. <laughs> oh, man. And Donovan Mitchell was like, you can tell he's condescending, saying, "Oh, he has a great college basketball player. It's great. These fans like to look back on this college basketball mm. career he had." Okay, and so yeah. I read, I read a piece like I'm perplexed. I it's probably because nostalgia, 
And, okay, get us here in Utah, but, like, ESPN, Athletic, CBS, wrote write-ups on this. Standing ovation got back. It's just weird to me, and I can't put my finger on it as to why, because, and I'll wrap it up quickly. It's a little Mountain West with these old school, old teams in here, but Andrew Bokett, Naismith Player of the Year, went far in Utah. Nowhere near the attention comes to town. Andre Miller went to the national title team. First triple-double triple double in the lead eight, and since Magic Johnson, when he completed that, completed that feat, like, 15 years ago. Um, Keith Van Horn, number two overall pick. When they came to town, when they were at the Nets or with Miller played, what, Portland, he played Milwaukee, played everywhere in the country, never had this ovation back and had by far better careers. So I'm on Twitter mm-hmm. during the show right now. I just want to bring it up because I want your thoughts. I see Jimmer's pro career is crap. NBA career is crap. Is that an accurate statement? Yes. He replies back one guy. I, I don't want his name. I'll find my Twitter fine. I just want a, a, a better basketball opinion than mine about it because crap's not a really subjective word or tangible word to say. He's like, well, how many bench players are really that good on a per game basis? I'm like, oh come on, what? Yes, that was his response. I'm like, Look, there's a difference between being on a bench in the NBA and and, and being a player in China. <laughs> it is, but he's like, why are you flabbergasted about fans at SLC giving ovations? It was the loudest ovation like ever in the stadium. I could be flabbergasted by that. I'm not the only one. But I, I did a screenshot. Like, here's his career minutes line. But he's like, a bench player don't usually look great. And so I'm like, come on. Hmm. I, I love Jimmer, but I, I would agree with you with that. It is kind of odd. And then he tried to nitpick. You said career. I'm like, sorry, I didn't include China in that when who cares when he scores 75 points in China. Mm-hmm. Whatever. We're done here. I want to get that off. Ask a good <laughs> basketball opinion because I, I know I'm not crazy. And I'm not a BYU fan by any means. And I know what he did in college is great. And I get why people would cheer a bit. But it's because I yeah, – whatever. If you Google Jimmer Fredette, you'll see all those articles are – because last thing here, really last thing, I'm sorry. But how many players get a deal 12 games left of the year to get any sort of write-up outside of the team press release and maybe a tweet? Uh, only ones that have, like, some backstory. Exactly. And it's not even in, like, the two team, two locations, new team and college team. It was everywhere. So mm-hmm. I think my point's validated. And Weird we'll, deal. We'll but, hey, on. we still love Jimmer. We do. He'll be on that list. He'll probably um, – I'll make a prediction right now. If you look at the best players ever, it's probably going to be you'll have Jimmer, Kawhi yeah. Leonard will be probably the top in the top two in some order, I'm assuming. Yeah. I'll look further about anybody else because those are those guys played year together. There's gonna be some New Mexico guys that I probably can't think of the top of my head at the moment. Um we'll get to it, but that'll be coming down the pipeline as well and we'll wrap up football as well. So all right, as I end my tangent, as a maybe to finish up on that a, sounds good. A great yeah. show. I'm looking get, forward to those alternate or all Mountain West, teams all whatever West. teams, right? Yeah, yeah, all, all, right. all everything team. And we'll be back probably next week, folks. We'll see you then.